Hey everyone, hope your holidays have been going well. As this year wraps up, we'll be reading from 1 Corinthians 15.10. At Halford House in 1976, Lance gave a message called, By the grace of God, I am what I am, as the year came to a close. As the year 2020 does the same, let's hear about the importance of understanding our justification in Christ and how to be who we have been called to be by the grace of God in Christ Jesus. Let's listen together. Welcome to the Lance Lambert Ministries podcast. For more information on Lance's ministry, visit lancelambert.org. In uh, 1 Corinthians and chapter 15, that has been on my heart for the most part of a week. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not found vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. This verse, as I say, has been very much on my heart the whole of this week. And um, I feel this evening, somehow or other, that um, we ought to look at it. Um, In one sense, uh, there is not much that can be said that would be new um, or sort of novel uh, about the matter of grace. Some of you have heard about the grace of God uh, for years. But nevertheless, the Lord, when he turns us to something, whether it's uh, a theme, a matter, a subject that we have looked at again and again, when the Lord turns us to it, oh, it can mean so much to us. And one of the most wonderful things about the things of God is that however well we know them, they come to us sometimes with new vitality and new freshness as if we've never seen them before. And sometimes it can turn us upside down and inside out. So don't switch off. It's so easy, immediately we start to talk about something that we feel, oh, well, we know about that. Um, we automatically, spontaneously, sort of inside, we sort of switch off and say, well, now I know all about this, because God may have something to say to you somewhere this evening that will mean a lot to you in this new year of 1976. There are three things that I want to underline in this amazing statement of the Apostle Paul. By the grace of God, I am what I am. That is the first thing. I think that is an incredible statement to make. And the second is this. Um, His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not found vain. But I labored 
more abundantly than they ought. That's the second statement. And the third is this, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. First of all, by the grace of God, I am what I am. You can never get anywhere spiritually till you are yourself in Christ. Now mark that very, very carefully. I did not say you cannot get anywhere till you are yourself. I said you cannot get anywhere till you are yourself in Christ. Many people have got the idea that self and Christ are diametrically opposed. And the two can never meet. But until you find yourself in Christ, and you are yourself in Christ, you will never get anywhere. You will never get anywhere in Christian life. You will never get anywhere in Christian character. And you will never get anywhere in Christian service. Because you see, unfortunately, such a large amount of so-called Christian life is artificial. It is not original. It has not stemmed from an original discoveries of Christ, which we have made by the Spirit of God. Our Christian character is often something which is superficial. It is a facade. It is not something which has been produced in us by the work of the Spirit of God. And our service is a matter of methods and technique, a system of doing things. Instead of really being a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Much of our problems come because we are afraid to relax and to be ourselves. Now, I don't know how many, if you're really honest with yourself, um, you would have to say, well, I can't be myself. Sometimes we blame people. We blame uh, the rest of the saints. Sometimes we blame the, le blame the leadership. Other people blame their husbands or blame their wives or blame their children or they blame their parents or they blame the school or the college or they blame the employer or they blame the employee. But it's amazing how we've all got an excuse for why we're not ourselves. We say, if we could remove such and such from the scene, I could be myself. I could relax. In actual fact, being yourself is not dependent upon anybody else, nor any circumstances or environment. It is a spiritual matter. We talk so much about the freedom with which Christ has made us free. But we forget 
that one of the great things about this freedom is that we are free from our environment and free from our circumstances and free from the imposition of other personalities upon us to be ourselves in Christ. Why should we ape other people? Why should we imitate other people? Why should we pattern ourselves on some, some saint that appears to have done well? It's one thing to imitate their faith in the sense that we see their faith as an example. It's another, it, it, it's one thing to see someone's self-sacrifice as a tremendous illustration, as a kind of pattern before us. But to ape them, to imitate them, so that we almost look like them, we speak like them, we behave like them, we pray like them, we act like them. That's not Christianity. That's not being uh, 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 liberated. To be ourselves in Christ is one of the most tremendous things in the whole world. Now, may I just say one or two very basic things. First of all, God created you. You are not a mistake. <laughs> you see, so many of us feel that basically we're dreadful mistakes. <laughs> we spend our times apologizing for ourselves. Oh, I'm so sorry, Lord. I'm so sorry that I see things like this. I feel I should be different. There's so-and-so there who's such a dynamic type of person. I feel I should be like that. But Lord, I never weep. And I never feel. I'm so sorry, Lord. But the Lord doesn't see it like that. You're not a mistake. You are a creation. <laughs> yes, it's true. You are a creation. God created you. Now you say, ah, but we're fallen. Of course you're fallen. But still, you remember what Jeremiah said? Before I was formed in my mother's womb, you called me, you knew me. All the things that go to make up you, God has known. Your background, your genies, uh, all the sort of different strains that have been woven together that make you, God knows all about it. God was, he, was behind it. You are not a mistake. You are a creation of God in that sense. Now, we're not talking about the fall or about sin. We understand that. We'll come to that in a moment. What I'm saying is this that what you are, personality-wise, apart from the other the things that may have twisted you, or embittered you, or depraved you, or corrupted you, what you are, personality-wise, is a creation of God. And sooner or later, you have to come to this glorious discovery that you are a unique creation in Christ. that the whole background and environment and family that has made you what you are has all been foreordained of God. Now, so many Christians are having a basic argument with God 
about themselves. They really feel that God should have known better. Why did you make me like this? Now this goes right back again to the Old Testament. Many of the prophets were always having arguments with God. Being human beings, we're the same. Jeremiah was saying, why did you make me like this, Lord? You should have done better. It is a strange thing that many of us have a lifelong argument with God. And because of that, God can, is held up in the work that he wants to do in us. You, dear child of God, were made in the image of God. And though by the fall we have been corrupted and depraved, although sin has made us fall short of the glory of God. What you are personality-wise, what you are temperamentally, is quite unique. No two of us are exactly the same. Every one of us is unique. And God loves you. And God doesn't love you just as a kind of human being amongst human beings. The great mass of redeemed ones that he said, he knows you by name. He's called you by name, and he loves you personally. Now, I think the revelation of the grace of God in this way to us is one of the greatest liberating secrets in the universe. Because most of us, as I have already said, spend our days apologizing for ourselves. <laughs> You know we can't sort of come into the presence of God before we're not sort of saying, very sorry, Lord, that I'm here. So sorry you've got to put up with me. And, um, I just wish I was like so-and-so, Lord. It would make things much easier for you and for me. <laughs> and really God is saying, oh, dear, dear, dear. What a lot of nonsense. I created you. And I've saved you. And I love you. It is a tremendous statement of the apostles, of the apostle Paul's, by the grace of God, I am what I am. There's much else you know in this. What do we mean about being ourselves in Christ? Well, of course, to touch on it perhaps a little more fully than I have, it means yourself is a combination, isn't it? Of temperament, of background, of environment, and of genies. That's absolutely true. There's a kind of cross-pollination and many other things that have brought about the unique person that you are. And there's no other person who is the exact combination that you are. Now, we are not saying, I am what I am. And you must put up with it. <laughs> we are saying, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It is ourselves in Christ. And that is a very different thing. It does not mean the old self-centered, selfish person. It doesn't mean the old self-seeking, ambitious person. 
the kind of person that will undermine everyone else in order to somehow or other advance one's own position and reputation. It means that you are yourself in Christ. There's a new foundation, there's a new power, there's a new principle, but you, personality-wise, are still yourself. And until you come to see yourself as God sees you and to accept yourself as God accepts you, you will get nowhere. I've said the basis of half our problems is the simple fact that we cannot relax and be ourselves. Now let me say something else. I've said you are not a mistake, you are a creation. Here is the second tremendous uh, 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 thing in this matter. God justified you. Well then we must ask, who are you? <laughs> who are you? What is the you that God has justified? What does it mean to be justified? It means God accepts you just as if you never sinned. All your sin, all your shortcoming, all your failure, he has removed and placed upon the Lord Jesus, his son. He made him to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You are justified. And that's really what it says in Romans and chapter 5. And that wonderful little word that we all know, being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we've had our access by faith into this grace wherein we stand justified by faith we have peace with God and we have this access into this grace wherein we stand who is it that God has justified he has justified you I, I, this is not grammatical but uh, to get at what I'm trying to say I'm going to put it very in a very ungraph what is you What is you? You mean to tell me that God has justified an idea? That's how most of us think of justification. God has justified an ideal. Not me, but the ideal that God has of me. But that makes nonsense of justification. For if we, we were what we ought to have been, we wouldn't need to be justified. So what has God justified? He's justified you. And who are you? You are a personality, a unique personality. Don't you begin to see it? God has justified you. Lock, stock and barrel. <laughs> You've been justified. Now that means it's just as if you've never sinned. That personality of yours, that temperament of yours, that true self of yours, God has justified you. He's given you a standing in his sight, which is eternal. He's given you a standing in his sight, which is legal.
No one can condemn you. No one can accuse you. Because God says, it is Christ Jesus who died. Now, when you begin to understand this, you see that not only are you not a mistake, but a creation of God, but you've been justified. All of us who've fallen short of the glory of God because of sin. We've been justified by the grace of God. And now we can come into his presence and say, by the grace of God, I am what I am. For the first time you can relax. But very few Christians know anything about relaxation. Now, in this modern life, we know very well how difficult it is to relax. The more uh, we know about modern life, um, the less we know about relaxation. But you know there are very, very few Christians who know how to relax in the Lord. In other words, what I mean by relax is to be how to be at home, how to be at rest. How to be just yourself with God. We always feel as soon as, as God comes in, oh, we've got to have a kind of, a kind of a, uh, artificial sort of uh, front. We, 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 now then, be careful, be careful. See, tie straight, <laughs> dressed properly, see, see. Can't be ourselves. As if God doesn't see through all that. Like a father who knows his naughty children. They think they've hidden something from him. Knows very well exactly what they've done. He spied it out long ago. But they think they're hiding something from him. Good as gold. Like little choir boys. Cherubs. <laughs> the father knows exactly what they've done. And sooner or later there'll be a reckoning. But what I'm trying to get at is simply this. We don't know how to relax. And the reason we don't know how to relax is because we don't know what it is to be justified. You see, this kindergarten business of being justified, justification through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't know what it means. Most of our uh, problems um, uh, that we have as believers go back to the fact that we do not understand that God has accepted us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that for the first time, we can be ourselves before God. We don't have to hide from God. We don't have to sew together some apron of fig leaves or whatever other leaves it was in the garden and sort of cringe away somewhere whenever the voice of God is heard. We can come out into the open and walk with God and talk with God. And we can be ourselves. We don't have to try and be watchman knee or Martin Luther or Amy Carmichael or some other saint that we admire as if we're saying, now, Lord, Lord, I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. I'm advancing myself. That kind of fellowship is always artificial and superficial. God loves you. He wants to come down to, to the level you really are and to talk with you on the level that you will. How can God do anything in your life if you're not where you ought to be? And if you are not what you are, by the grace of God, I am what I am. If all the time I'm trying to be what I ought to be. God says, I can't have fellowship with you. 
Because essentially you're being forced. But when you are what you are, then you've come down to a level where God says, now we can talk. Now we can talk about the real problems. Now we can face the things that need to be faced. Well, there are many, many things in this way that we can uh, talk about in this matter. This little word, by the grace of God, I am what? I am. We, uh, because we have never understood justification, we get into a lot of problems. Now, let me again just point out um, that this does not mean uh, that I sort of lumber the saints um, with myself in a totally undisciplined, unbroken, undealt with manner. It, it, he, the Apostle Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And it really is yourself and myself in Christ. And that means that the Spirit of God is tempering us, moderating us, balancing us, uh, breaking us, um, disciplining us, and releasing us. And there is another thing that I want to just say in this matter. It seems to me that there is something progressive here. By the grace of God, I am what I am. There is an ongoing work of the Spirit of God by which I am being conformed to the image of His Son. I am what I am. I am myself. But God is dealing with me. Now, we all know what it is to see someone who is themselves. But it's another thing when we see the beauty of the Lord coming through them. I don't know a single person um, that I have ever known uh, through whom the Lord has really come in a living way to me who has not firstly been themselves in Christ. And secondly, there has been an ongoing experience of the work of the Spirit of God. Everything else becomes just static. <coughs> it becomes dead. It becomes a kind of cast iron mold in the end. The thing that once was alive dies on them and they stay like a pillar of salt where they turn back. Um, there's one other matter here that I'd like to underline too in this matter of um, this, this statement by the grace of God I am what I am and it is the matter of spiritual gift and ministry in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7 I think we could do with the door open very much. Um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, we read this, but unto each one of us was the grace given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And then again we have the same thought in Romans and chapter 12 
And verse 3, Romans chapter 12 and verse 3, For I say, through the grace that was given me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but so to think as to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to each man a measure of faith. Now, I find these two things very, very wonderful. Through the grace that was given to me. Grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now here's another realm in which by the grace of God we are to be what we are. And it is in this matter that whatever God has given you um, as it were, in, a, in the matter of gift, or the matter of function, or the matter of ministry, the grace of God will enable you to be exactly that. If God has made you a help, it's no go good you trying to be an apostle. If God has given you some real position um, in the family um, in some way, uh, the thing is that the, the, the point is that grace is given you to fulfill that exactly. <coughs> now, <coughs> in Christian work and service, there are two great dangers. One is overreaching ourselves, and the second is underestimating ourselves. And both are as deadly. The first is to think that more highly of yourself than you ought to think. You will notice all the way through the apostles, that in, uh, all the way through the epistles, that in spite of the fact that again and again we're warned against pride and ambition, we find that they speak of themselves quite, in a quite relaxed manner, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Peter says, Peter, an, an apostle and servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, uh, there's a lady called Phoebe who's called a servant of the church at a certain place, a deaconess, to put it exactly. Um, and so we can go on and we can go on. The point is this, that <clears throat> we are not to overreach ourselves. Much trouble in Christian work is because people try to be more than what they really have been given. And when that happens, just as it does in Christian life and character, we become artificial. From that point, our ministry takes on an artificial colouring. Because we are trying to be something that God has not constituted us to be. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Now, here is the wonderful thing. That whenever a servant of the Lord, whether you're only a help, or whether your gift was only in some great prayer but hidden ministry, or whether it's an apostolic ministry, if that ministry comes into collision with Satan, or with demons, or with men, God undertakes for it. If there is a challenge, if there is some kind of 
um, confrontation. It is God who takes up the cudgels. Why? Because God has himself constituted that ministry. And whether it's only a help, or whether it is a prayer ministry, or whether it is an apostolic ministry, he has constituted it. Now he will take it on. It's a wonderful relaxation. But if we are more than we ought to be, God leaves us to it. The enemy will demolish everything that is not true. You remember he took Peter and he sifted him as wheat. All the chaff blew away. And in the end, the kernel, the heart of the matter, was left in the hands of God. And so it is with you and with me. Now, the other side of the coin is this. Many of us underestimate ourselves. And this is just as deadly a thing as anything. Now, listen very carefully to me. If God has given you a ministry and you underestimate it, you bring yourself into, colli into a collision course with God. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, I am what I am by the grace of God. I cannot say anything else. It's not humility. To say, oh, no, 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 I'm not. Oh, no, no, don't ask me, don't ask me. God says, if you don't do that, I take it away from you. If I have given you something and you draw that, I take it away from you. I will give to someone else who has. That is the principle. Take it away from him and give to him that has. <coughs> do not think that we just can go on and on and on just like that. If we come into real conflict in this matter, remember there are times when our underestimation of our gift can really be an inverted form of pride. We're afraid to make a mistake or we're a fearful of what people think and all these kind of things. Just be done with that. By the grace of God, I am what I am. When you come to that basic recognition, oh, what a marvelously restful, relaxed position it is. You can go into the conflict, you can go into the most deadly conflict, and you know that God's going to take care. For no weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee thou shalt condemn. For this is the heritage of the servants of the law of the Lord, and their righteousness which is of me, saith the Lord. Oh, it's a wonderful thing to be relaxed in the Lord. Have you ever noticed how John draws attention now and again to himself? In Revelation 21, verse 2, he says, I, John. In Revelation chapter 1, I think verse 9, he says, I, John. And the apostle Paul is dreadful. <laughs> I could give you a long list of times where he says, I, Paul, I, Paul. I, Paul, many evangelical Christians be frightened to death of saying, I, so-and-so, I, Lord, oh, no, you shouldn't say that. <laughs> I, Ron, oh, and we always suspected it. <laughs> the, the, these brothers, these brothers, they want to be something, they want to be something. It's interesting, isn't it? Only a man in the things of God. Now, I'm not talking about all this hullabaloo that sometimes goes by the name of Christian service. But what I'm saying is this. When a man is really in the work of God and God has dealt with him, he can talk like that. 
and there's nothing offensive or embarrassing about it at all. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul can say, I, Paul. Paul, of course, is one of the best examples of this kind. He's always spilling himself out over all the pages he writes. I've often said that if Paul thought that generations of Christians were going to study his letters for century after century, he would have cut out a very large portion of the material that's in them. You don't think he would say, you forced me into boasting, you lot. Corinth. Well, I mean, uh, well, if you want me to boast, I'll boast more than you all. So he goes on and says, <laughs> don't you think he would have gone through and oh, all those theologians and everybody else studying it out. Cut it out, cut it out, cut it out. Taking a blue pencil and out. Do you think he would have said to those Galatians, those people talking to you about, so I wish they would... And he says something dreadful in the original. I'm sure he would say blue pencil out with that. And there are lots of other things that he says. I'm quite sure he wouldn't have said in one letter, um, saying, you know, I'm so, I've had such a bad time about that letter I wrote to you. Ever since I sent it, I've had a bad time. I feel I, I, I overreached myself in that letter. And it's only this messenger who's come to me and told me what the response has been to that letter that's made, has comforted my heart. Now, that letter he was having such a bad time, don't forget the post. In those days, it was nearly as bad as ours is today. <laughs> um, uh, the fact is that the post in those days did take months. You sent someone off. And uh, they took months taking the mail with them. Uh, there's, there's the apostle having a bad time about a letter he's written. But the letter he's written was the first letter of the Corinthians. And really, in many ways, one of the most wonderful uh, portions of the New Testament. The man's having a bad time about it. I'm quite sure he would have thought, now, if they're going to study all that, we'd better cut that out. <laughs> Spiritual people don't have bad times like that. I, I, mean, I, I mean, I should have known that it was the Word of God. It's interesting that the Spirit of God allows Paul to spill himself out, and we get him, if you like, warts and all. We've got it all there. You've got things like, I know he says that my bodily presence is weak, but my letters are strong. And many other things that we could go on to say. The fact of the matter is, as we've said so many times, you will find an essential style that is John's, or Peter's, or James, or Paul's. It, it differentiates them. They're talking about the same thing, but there's something which is personality. It is I, John, I, Peter, I, Paul, I, James, they have finally come to this position. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And with it, God pours himself out through them. And it has been our great blessing all the way down to the, to the centuries of this age. Well, there we are. That's one great thing. Now, there's a second thing I would like to um, underline. And it's this wonderful phrase also in this uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. His grace 
bestowed upon me, which was bestowed upon me, was not found vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Now, isn't this an interesting word? His grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not found vain. The word is void, futile, was not found futile, was not found empty. Do you mean to tell me that the grace of God bestowed upon you can in some measure be found vain? Think. You mean to tell me that the grace of God which has saved you and the grace of God which has called you and the grace of God which will change you, and the grace of God which will empower you. That grace of God which has been bestowed upon you and covers every emergency, every contingency, could possibly be vain? I don't see why the Apostle Paul would make such a statement if there was not a possibility that in some measure in our lives the grace of God bestowed upon us could be futile. Maybe there's a great battle going on in your life and you're not winning it. The grace of God which was bestowed upon you is vain. Maybe there's something that positively you ought to be doing and you know it. And you're not doing it. <coughs> the grace of God which was bestowed upon you is found vain. Maybe there is some gift that God has given you and you are not exercising it. The grace of God which was bestowed upon you is found vain. You see, the key to this matter is the next phrase, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Let's rehear it again. And the grace of God which was bestowed upon me was not found vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. The key really is this, that the grace of God is given you, but you have to exploit it. The grace of God is there, but you have to discover it, apprehend it, and by it, fulfill whatever is the plan of God for you. Now, here is where we all come unstuck. The idea that the grace of God calls for passivity on our part is an entirely false idea. Calvin never believed in such nonsense. 
but it is a prevalent idea that, ah, I believe in the grace of God. I believe in the sovereign will of God and the grace of God, so I do nothing. We don't evangelize. We don't have a concern for the unsaved. We don't go to the ends of the earth. We don't lay down our lives that others may be brought to Christ. That's not the grace of God. That is to discover that the grace of God in the end, that the grace of God bestowed upon us was in vain. There is no idea of passivity in this matter of the grace of God. The grace of God is there, but you have to exploit it. Now, when we look back into the Old Testament, we do not find a single great character in the whole of those books, in the whole history covered by the Old Testament, who did not become what he became, but by the grace of God. It doesn't matter if it's Abraham, it doesn't matter if it's Isaac, it doesn't matter if it's Jacob, it doesn't matter if it's Joseph, it doesn't matter if it's Moses, or Joshua, or Samuel, or David. You can go on and you can go on. The grace of God was there for them. The call came. And by faith, they had to obey. And when they obeyed, the grace of God was there. And no matter how hard was their calling, no matter if they faced a whole heathen nation, no matter if they faced all the enemies surrounding them, the grace of God was there. Once they obeyed, but if they did not obey, no grace. In other words, they could be children of God, but suffer defeat. They could be children of God under the Midianites, under the enemies, under the Philistines, at the mercy of hostile nations. They were still children of God. They were still in covenant relationship with God. But the grace of God was bestowed. You see what I'm saying? I'm not saying they lost their salvation. What I'm saying is this, that there was the grace of God bestowed upon them that they might do the mighty works of God, that they might see the fulfillment of the, of the purpose of God for them and for their whole nation. See his plan realized. Even when the Philistines came in like a flood or the Midianites or whatever other uh, thing, Babylonians or Assyrians or whoever it was, they were still children of God in covenant relationship with God. But they could be in bondage. They lost their sovereignty and freedom. They became inhibited, limited, spoiled, marred. So that they had to write that song, that psalm, how can we sing the songs of Zion in a foreign land? No, if we look into the Old Testament, we find in every single case that the grace of God was there, but those men had to obey the Lord even though apparently it seemed stupid to obey the Lord. It seemed like a dream to obey the Lord. They had to obey the Lord. And when they obeyed the Lord, one with God was a majority. They found their enemies turned to flight. They found great heathen emperors made decrees that sent them back to build the temple and the city of God again. It's always the same. 
This matter of exploiting the grace of God is a necessity. And dear child of God, there will come a day when you stand before your Lord and give account of yourself to him. And if there are tears and if there is shame, it will be because you did not exploit the grace of God bestowed upon you. For you see, there is not a circumstance that God has not foreknown, nor a situation that he did not plan for in your life. There is nothing inexplicable about your environment or the people who make up your life as far as God is concerned. The whole thing is known to God, but it is a question of whether you will exploit and apprehend the grace of God. If you do that, then you will know a release and you will know a fulfillment and you will know a coming into the whole purpose of God for your life. To know that I am worthless, to know that I am nothing, is one part and one vital part of spiritual education. To know that he is able and that he is everything is a, a much more necessary part of spiritual education. To move ahead in union with Christ by faith is the key to the practical fulfillment of everything. It took God 40 years to bring Moses to see that he was a dried-up old thorn bush and that God was the fire. But it was only when the fire and the thorn bush got together that God could bring his people out of Egypt and through a wilderness. Now, dear child of God, you may have, by the dealings of God, come to the place where you know what you are, just worth. As far as the purpose of God is concerned, you can do nothing. You know that you, you are yourself in him, but you, are, you know you are worthless. You are, know you are nothing. You also know that he is everything. For those, those of you who are younger, let me say something that the older ones know. When we first start out, we think we can do it all. You know, we've got saved. Oh, it's wonderful. Now we'll roll up our sleeves and we're going to get to work. We're going to get them all saved. We'll do this, we'll do that, we'll go here, we'll go there, we'll get everything moving. They're a bit stuffy here, we'll get them moving. Then after a while we see ourselves. We come off the pedestal. We make some terrible mistakes, sometimes public. We feel awful. And then we begin to see that it's not us, but him. He is everything. It's not my will his will. So my satisfaction, it's his satisfaction. So then we do nothing. We, we go into the phase of our quietest period, where we do nothing. We sit still. Sit still, my daughter. It's the favorite word at that time. Wait for the Lord. And we wait for the Lord. We do nothing. But some people go on waiting for the rest of their lives. <laughs> Truthfully. Nothing in the hands. Because there comes a time when you can settle down to keeping sheep in the backside of the desert. 
All those big ideas of freeing the people of God in Egypt, all those big ideas of somehow or other seeing the purpose of God fulfilled and realized, they all fade away somehow or other. It was difficult to begin with, but now those old sheep would rather be with the sheep than the people of God. Much easier. Day in, day out, sunrise, sunset. Somehow or other, all so much more simple. If God's purpose is to be fulfilled, the I am has to get into you. And you and he have to come together. You are nothing, he is everything. And he and you, like the thorn bush and the fire, have to stay together. And then the purpose of God is fulfilled. We find this in, in wonderful ways in, in the book. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13, the Apostle Paul says those wonderful words, so often quoted, I think, without real understanding. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Now, literally, it is in Christ. We say the old version said through Christ. It's true. But it's literally in Christ. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. You can't do it outside of him or apart from him. But in him, everything. And another thing is this, you won't be doing your own works if you're in him. It's not that you've got a big idea and you can say, now then, I'll get the Lord in tow. Get the Lord behind me, sort of supporting me. We'll get this thing done. Okay, well, get down now and give them what for in the office. Now, Lord, we expect you to be right behind. <coughs> and, uh, I say the word and you do the work. <laughs> and the idea is, well, we'll get something done now. We'll get something done. That's the idea. It's just, I can do all things in Christ, which means this, that you don't do anything that he doesn't want. There's a time to speak in the office and a time not to speak. There's a time to go and visit somebody and a time not to visit. Once it was all visiting and all speaking. And then there was a time when we did no visiting and no speaking. Now we have to learn to do the works of him who has sent you. And when you do those, you go ahead in faith, then you find the Lord's way. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Or again, another wonderful word also in Philippians is in Philippians chapter 2 and it is that oft misquoted word. <clears throat> but now much more, verse 12 and 13, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation <laughs> with fear and trembling for it is God who worketh in you both to will and to work of his good pleasure. Now what an extraordinary statement. It is God who is willing and working in you. But you must work out your salvation. You've got a great salvation. It's given you by grace. You must work it out. And as you in faith work it out, God wills and works in you. So if you do nothing, God does nothing. You can have the whole salvation and know nothing more than forgiveness. Because you have never worked out your salvation. And because you didn't work out in faith, God didn't will and work in you. 
grace bestowed upon us. Oh, what a wonderful word. Grace bestowed upon us. His grace bestowed, which was bestowed upon me, was not found vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all. You see, the apostles found a great secret. He is what he is by the grace of God. Then he found that the grace of God bestowed upon him is sufficient for every single call that God will make on him. And he goes out to labor more abundantly than they all. Grace bestowed upon us for circumstances and situations. Now, we all find this very difficult at times. All of us, at some time or another, have circumstances or situations which are very, very hard to bear. But the grace of God is bestowed upon us, and no such circumstance or situation takes God by surprise. The grace is there for you and for me to exploit. A grace bestowed upon us for weakness due to temperament and background. Some people are always moaning about their background. Oh, they say, if I just didn't have, if I didn't have the family background I had, I'd be a different person. Now listen, quit moaning for this simple reason that God's grace has been given for you to overcome that very background. He knew all about it. In some strange way, it was that background that's made you quite unique. <laughs> really? And once God can, can take the sting out of you, once he can get the bitterness out of you, once he can pluck out all that, that whole thing will become the means of blessing to many. But you know, we, we, we're incredible. You see, the enemy says, because your background, you out. So all those other lovely people, look at them all, all with lovely backgrounds. <laughs> no problems. Beautiful temperaments, except for just one or two. Um, I mean, they're all things. But you, you are different. Now, now, you must listen. It's no good you pushing yourself forward or trying to do anything, because you are one of those deprived people. You have had very unhappy background, very unhappy circumstances, and, and you've inherited it all. And, and that really puts you out. Anyway, if you do go forward, you'll make a mess of things and upset everybody. So just keep out. But you see, the grace of God has been bestowed upon you for the weaknesses due to temperament or background that they may be overcome, and not only overcome, but wonderfully used. I remember years ago listening to Mildred Cable, and she wrote it in also in a little book that you can't get hold of nowadays called Parable of Jade. She was a remarkable person, Mildred Cable. She traveled over Central Asia, all those highways and byways of Central Asia with the two French sisters, Francesca and Evangeline, uh, French. And she told this story. She said, the most wonderful thing of all about the jade smiths is that when they get a particular piece of jade that is very beautiful for quality and color, they will take anything up to 15 years before they start work on it. And the craftsman, the master jade smith, will come back and look at it and in typical Chinese style, we'll sit there sometimes for an hour or more, just reflecting. 
Now, in many, many cases, she said, the most beautiful pieces of jade have a flaw, a dark black mark or a brown mark. And the whole ingenuity and creative genius of the master craftsman is how to turn the flaw <coughs> into the centerpiece of the whole work. If any of you ever see a jade collection, go to it, a really good jade collection, and you will see what I mean, for you will suddenly find on a lotus leaf the most incredibly beautiful bee. And the bee is the flaw. Or you will go somewhere else and you will find that that thing which should have spoilt the jade and made it valueless has become the thing that has made it incredibly valuable. Now that's exactly what the grace of God does with us, with our weaknesses due to temperament and background. Once we allow the Spirit of God to deal with us. It's as if that master craftsman, the Lord himself, takes us and looks at us. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He knows exactly how he's going to take that fault. That, now I say fault in, a, in my way of the flaw. The thing that would wreck you. The thing that would spoil you. He looks at that thing and he's now I'm going to turn that into the centerpiece. That's what the grace of God can do. Again, the grace of God uh, bestowed upon us is for the fulfillment of ministry and gift. If God has given you a very difficult ministry, don't moan about it. Don't say, oh, I'll never do it, I'll never be able to do it. The grace of God is being given to you. If you're an Apostle Paul, you'll have the Apostle Paul's grace. If you're Clement, I don't mean our Clement, but I mean the Clement in Philippians, you'll have the grace for Clement. If you're Euodia, or Syntyche, You'll have the grace that God has bestowed upon them that they may fulfill and not argue with one another, fall out with one another, but grace given to fulfill their ministry. The grace of God has been given to us. Well, that's why it's a very serious matter to have a, a gift, to have a ministry. You can't hide behind environment or circumstances or situations or any trial or trouble. God says, oh, no, 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 no. You don't think I'm a fool. I didn't give you that ministry. I didn't give you that gift. I knew that you were going to have this trouble and that trouble and the other trouble. I also bestowed grace upon you so that that should be fulfilled. And the Apostle Paul goes into prison and for years he's chained to a rough Roman soldier. And because he knew the grace of God bestowed upon him, he wrote the most wonderful letters that have ever been written by a human being. You would have thought, well, I know myself, I'm a bad letter writer anyway. I always hide behind the fact that I feel people can't read my writing. But I, could I imagine myself chained to some vulgar, crude soldier? Couldn't even do the private things of life without him. I would have thought, oh God, this is the end. You don't expect me to do anything now? My wonderful ministry finished? 
Oh, those lovely people at Halford House. Can't do anything for them anymore, Lord. And then you got this ruffian here. The end of a chain, too near for me. I can smell him. When I sleep, he's there. When I wake, he's there. When I go to wash my hands, he's there. He has to come with me, whatever I do. Oh, dear Lord. No ministry, of course, Lord. I mean, we do, you don't, ministry doesn't come through at such times as this, does it? You just free me, Lord. And when I'm out again, I'm going to go round on platforms saying how I was delivered. <laughs> we'll have a worldwide ministry then, Lord. But not the Lord. He just allows the Apostle Paul. You know, the Apostle Paul, we might have been robbed of many, many letters. Ephesian, Colossian, Philippian. We could have been robbed of letters that are the high watermark of the revelation of God. But the Apostle Paul knew that the grace of God bestowed upon him was not going to be vain. He exploited it. And even when he's there in prison, he speaks of himself, I, the prisoner of the Lord. And then even more beautifully, he changes it a little later and says, I, the prisoner in the Lord. Oh, the man knew, sir. We got the greatest ministry that's ever been given in the world in a place that was impossible. Dear child of God, God we've got no excuse. And that brings me finally to this last little phrase, and I will not spend long on it, because really we've covered everything, but it needs to be just underlined. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I think that's a most beautiful way of putting it. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I. Then who did the laboring? The Lord. The Spirit of God did the laboring. The grace of God which was with me. There's a man who knows he's nothing. There's a man who knows the paralysis of his old nature. There's a man who is himself in Christ, relaxed in Christ. Yet not I but the grace of God which was with me. I saved, but alone, equals nothing. No fulfillment, no power, no fruit. I and the grace of God equals everything. Fulfillment, power, fruitfulness, glory. Oh, dear child of God, we face a new year. And in that year, this year of 76, there are possibilities and potentialities. God will call us to many things. New responsibilities, new service perhaps, new trials. His grace is sufficient 
for the realization of his plan and purpose for your life and for our life together as the people of God. What a wonderful thing it would be if we could come to the end of this year and say, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. May the Lord help us. Shall we pray? O oh, Father, we thank Thee together for these wonderful words we have been considering together this evening. We thank Thee for the grace, Thy grace, dear Lord. We pray that we may all know something of it in our experience. Dear Lord, we do pray that we may know this coming year the most wonderful moving forward into all that thou dost desire for us. There are issues in our lives, Lord, things we are held up on, things, Lord, we ought to be doing and we are not doing. Oh, Father, for grace, not only bestowed upon us for it is, Lord, but grace known and experienced, laid hold of by us all. Dear Lord, hear us. And may we know a year of increase and fruitfulness such as we have never known before. And we ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. May the Lord reveal himself to you in a fresh way as we begin a new year. May you know yourself in Christ. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus. Jesus.